Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe so we can help you master the art of selling. What an incredibly humbling week it has been. We launched the Revenue Engine podcast um, with host Rosalind Santelena, who is just incredible. She's the head of RevOps down at Clarion. You know what? We should get her on the show. I think she'll provide some incredible insight and unique viewpoint on the world of selling. Um, but it's been awesome because we've been receiving a lot of positive feedback. And if you haven't already listened to it, um, it's on the Sales IQ as last week's episode, but it's also it's got its own show, The Revenue Engine, because we interviewed the incredible Manny Medina, who is the founder of Outreach, and talked about his story and you know how he progressed from a sales professional to someone that's really changed the way in which sellers use sales engagement platforms. This episode is brought to you by Vidyard, Vidyard, the online video tool for sales professionals. Vidyard makes it easy for sales teams to turn text-based emails into personal video messages and will help you engage with your prospects and create an incredible buying experience for them, which will ultimately help you reach your pipeline and revenue goals. So do yourself a favor, get to vidyard.com Sign up and start using video in your sales process. But this week's guest comes with a different level of insight. Um, her name's Megan. She's from, she's from one of my favorite places in the world in New York. And she spent a lot of her career selling, but also in enablement. And she's a real practitioner. I've had the pleasure of having a few conversations with her now. And she's someone that can really move the dial, move the needle in, in a positive direction. And this shows all about, you know, how you can drive performance, how you can get to the, to the President's Club, the path to President's Club. And she'll talk about what you can do to elevate your performance and some strategies that you can take, implement immediately that's going to enable you to be the very best you can be. So I'm really excited to share this week's episode. Please tune in, you know, subscribe to the Revenue Engine podcast. Um, it's another podcast that will allow you to elevate your role and help you be the very best sales professional you can be. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, I know that we've spoken, we've probably done a podcast episode before recording this podcast. So uh, yeah, thanks for jumping on um, and joining me on the Sales IQ podcast. Um, but before we get into today's topic, all around sort of the art and the science of selling, would love to know a bit more about you and how you started in the world of selling. Yeah, so I I feel like I have a pretty common story where I fell into sales. Um, hear that so many times from from people who are sales experts. But I've been in some form of sales since I was 16 years old. I was working in, uh, in high school in Florida at a specialty bathing suit shop, and it was kind of that that lazy high school job. But I learned needs assessment because if you have women who come in, they're very um, they're less confident about part, certain parts of their body, more confident. And you definitely learn quick solutioning because there's only a certain threshold to where people will try on bathing suits before they like try on 10 suits and nothing fits and they start crying. So really good way to learn sales. But when I was uh, in college, I was studying sociology and it's funny cause there's not really a sales degree when I went to college and my real passion was my part-time or almost full-time role, which was a leasing agent. 
So when I graduated, I just applied for a ton of sales jobs, um, found my way into a tech job somehow. And the funny thing is that I wasn't very successful in my first few years. I didn't have any training. I, I really didn't like, like look back. I'm like, I did not know what I was doing. And I was trying to find resources, didn't have any mentors, didn't have any training, but it was one sales job, one manager. I think it was like my third sales job where he invested in training for me. I went to Sandler sales training every week for I think two years. And the first year in that role, I hit president's club. And unfortunately for my boss, I also fell in love with sales training. So I've been, since that job, I actually jumped into sales training full-time and, and have been helping other people to President's Club ever since. Yeah, what a fantastic story. It's funny that, you know, you're, because you've moved into that kind of enablement part of the world, mm-hmm. um, but you've moved into that function from being a sales professional that had hit some incredible numbers. How did that impact your ability to influence and develop others in that role? Yeah, I think the first thing is simply empathy. Yeah. I think that as people get into sales leadership roles and even just enablement roles, we forget how hard it was our first few years. And like, I hear this for so many people where they they talk about like the laziness of salespeople and they talk about how this person just won't be successful and they knew it from day one and getting into enablement and recognizing I did it because I wanted to build training programs for the person I was. I was young, hungry. I didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to be successful. And so for me, it's, it's really made me have a lot more empathy for salespeople and know that a lot of times it's the way training is structured. It's access to training and resources. And especially as a woman in sales, I recognize that there's a lot of challenges that women and minorities face that not everyone even realizes. So um, I think from that perspective, it, it creates a lot of trust with salespeople when they know that I've done it, that I've had success, but even more importantly, that I come from a place of empathy and I know how hard their jobs are. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because I think a lot of the challenges that sales professionals, because we are, you know, when we look at our profession and we look at the type of people that work in sales, we are unique, we are complex, mm-hmm. and we're very hard to please, right? Let's just, yeah, <laughs> we're high maintenance. Um, and I say that with respect because I've been in sales my whole life. Um, but I think the biggest challenge that I've always seen, and, you know, I've been at that participant level where somebody from enablement is coming in, building tools, asking us to facilitate a certain process when they've never sat in the seat of mm-hmm. sales. And they're coming at it from a, a, a theory-based or a management perspective on how things should be done without actually understanding, well, hang on, I'm in the trenches all the time. I'm dealing with prospects all the time. And what you're asking mm-hmm. me to do is going to make it even dif- even more difficult for me to get my buyers through that buying journey. Um, So it's really interesting. But I think one of the things that I've already heard so far from what you've said, you attended training every week for Mm -hmm. two years, right? Yeah. Um, Talk to me a bit about that experience. Oh, I love this question because that 
is not only that I learned a lot about um, sales and I was successful myself, but that experience also taught me some of the pitfalls and the challenges in training because I was a very young seller, young, blonde. I was just so bubbly and I was so excited about sales. But a lot of times when I went to Sandler sales training, I, um, I was in the session. I remember sitting there in Tampa. I had incredible trainers. They actually um, have won awards for uh, within Sandler. But I also was sitting with people who had been going there for 15 years. And they could probably at this point lead the training. But when I went on sales calls with them, I, I knew that they knew Sandler inside and out, but whenever they were in the field, something happened, they reverted back to their old practices. They didn't actually apply the things that they had learned. And so this is, it taught me so much because um, I think that a lot of times in sales and in, in training specifically, as you mentioned, there's conceptual training and there's tactical training. But I think there's also a third bucket, which is really that, that coaching. How do you actually take both the concepts and the tactics? Because tactics change. You need to constantly update them. And, and of course, as people adopt the same tactics, then you, it, it becomes challenging to differentiate yourself. But that third bucket is really critical. If you don't know how to actually apply the tactics or which tactics to use for your unique selling environment, your unique company, and something, of course, I know more than anyone because I'm uh, a New Yorker, even like the the training, the trainer's personal style needs to be adjusted. Not everyone comes in and is super aggressive and ambitious and direct like I am being a, a New Yorker and American now. So I think that's something that we as trainers really need to help people with. And even if you do coaching weekly, it's something that can still be missing from the process. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's such an interesting conversation thread and I think one of the things that I've, I'm really enjoying about what you're saying is that it not there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to this and everybody's quite different and the fact of the matter is everybody learns at a different pace everybody mm -hmm. executes at a different pace and this is why coaches and having people to help you and help you be accountable is so important and I, I find that that's the missing piece to a lot of the enablement programs that are in the market because without that coaching to embed and reinforce the learning doesn't stick and i know there's a lot of data to show that that you know without that coaching and reinforcement and space repetition the retention is is next to zero like after a certain <laughs> period of time so um yeah. and i think for any of our listeners listening to this right now you hit president's club you teach now people and help people, enable people to hit that number, to hit President's Club. And you're doing it with a very methodical way in which allows people to take the learning, embed and reinforce with coaching, which is a, which is a really winning methodology. Um, so if you're listening to this, because I think one of the biggest challenges that sales professionals have today is they're being kind of overwhelmed with tech stacks. <laughs> and... Ooh. Yes. If I look back at my early stages of my career, I had a ruler, a pen, and a paper, and a piece of paper. <laughs> it was, oh, and the phone, right? It was, uh, and then I had my door knocking days, but it was a very simplistic process. I had people to call, I called them, I either engaged with them or crossed them off the list. That was my sort of, this was pre-Salesforce days. Yes. I think before then, and then I think my first CRM was like, 
Microsoft. It was like 3.0. Um, but anyway, it's going back a while. But now we've got sell- sellers that have CRM, a chorus or a gong or something that helps mm-hmm. them listen to calls. Um, automation, like an outreach, which is pushing mm-hmm. out calls after calls. Um, there's now, you know, revenue enablement pl- platforms. They're, they're getting overwhelmed with all these tech stacks and they're being asked to execute cadences and this and that. And But somewhere along the line, the actual art of the mm-hmm. sale, which for me is the most important part of the process, is being lost. Like when we look at induction programs from organizations or um, training programs, there's a lot of enablement around the technology. I would love to hear your opinion on what sellers can do to bring that art into the process to help unlock better buying experiences for their prospects and customers. Yeah. So the really interesting thing that I see with all of these tools is that we have more data than ever before. And I feel like there's a tendency to try to hit the easy button, right? A great example of this is I work with BDRs almost every single day and they're literally being told, hey, we ran the data and this is the template that works the best, has the highest response rates, highest open rates, highest conversion rates. So all we want you to do is take this template and send it to this list of 100 people we have already predetermined for you, right? All you have to figure out is all of these companies, you have to find the right people, but we don't want you to have any creativity. All we want you to do is send this template. And it is such a short-term view because one, imagine one, imagine doing that every day. You're going to be miserable. You're never going to want to be in sales. And if you, if that is your everyday job, like one, why don't we just automate that? Right. Um, if, if, if people are operating as robots basically, and I see a lot of frustration in people and, and people think that they are not going to be good in sales because they aren't thriving in that environment. And so I think that, um, we as sales leaders also need to focus a little bit on giving people the opportunity to have autonomy and to actually learn by making mistakes and by testing things out and just by building things ourselves. And that's the same thing that I would do. Uh, I, I would advice I would give to sellers is find opportunities to learn and make mistakes. I think so many times the way that sales leadership in these tools is trending is that, hey, we're, we're just going to try to find the easiest path forward. And I mean, my company is called the Path to Presence Club. My, my, my whole thing is trying to get to this mastery uh, concept as quickly as possible, but also realizing that mistakes are so valuable there. And honestly, humanity is so valuable. So I think for sellers, what we should really be thinking about is not just trying to understand the how, but understanding the why. Why do these strategies work? How, even if if they tell you to do something, just ask why. And not in a confrontational way. Sales leaders, a lot of times we don't like this question, right? Because we have to explain ourselves and we don't like doing that. But just asking why more often, why does this work? What strategies are this based off of? Even for templates, try to be really curious and try to test new things. I think that one thing we forget about science is that science is actually all about testing and experimentation. We treat 
the science in sales is as, oh, we have all this data, so we know exactly what works. That's actually not a very scientific way of approaching it. You know, I, I, I'm really, really getting lost in what you're saying here right now because there was a, some banter on LinkedIn recently about this, right? Mm-hmm. Another person called out somebody uh, for a, a poorly executed outreach message, which I didn't think was actually that poor. But, but some of my biggest sales um, came from poorly executed outreach techniques. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I often say like sometimes we strive for perfection and we forget about the execution part of the process and mm-hmm. that it's okay to send an email that is not perfectly written. It might not be within the 125 words. Sometimes out, just getting it out there and actually trying it, mm-hmm. it will go against what the science says because we're interacting with humans and humans are different and they're different every single day. And you talked about empathy and you talked about the fact that understanding what people are going through. I mean, like I said, that that poorly crafted email might just be hitting somebody's inbox at a point where they just need to be reading that and it piques their interest and says, you know what, there's something here that I want to engage with. Um, and that creativity that you talk about comes from just execution. So just want to confirm. So the first thing we need to allow sellers to do right now is give them some freedom and autonomy Mm-hmm. to find their own voice, to find their own style, to find their own sort of way of thinking. What are the other things that they can be doing to develop that art further? Yeah. One thing I, I loved about what you said is that um, in terms of of outreach and whether it, even just sales calls, like I've had a ton of poor sales calls. I'm not going to lie even as a sales trainer, it's just embarrassing to admit, but I've shown up to meetings unprepared. I don't use my template every single time. And you know what? It's interesting. Um, I, I try to get people to, even like opportunities, when you're creating opportunities, I try to get them to be okay with entering data in that's not perfect. And I think because we have so, salespeople are just being watched by all these platforms so regularly that they're scared of trying for feel for fear of failure, right? Because if you have, there's they're so scared of entering in opportunities that aren't going to be qualified, that that are closed lost. And it's it's challenging because the the systems we're using put a lot of pressure because there's just so much awareness. But we need to recognize that repetition and failure, even repeated failure. If you think about science and data, most of the time you can't even really reach a an outcome unless you have that that pool of data and you you test things so regular and, and you actually have a lot of statistics, right? So I think that there's a fear of failure and it's very natural. And I mean, I it's understandable when you have so many people watching you on all these platforms, but we as sales leaders need to make sure that we are giving people the, again, the space to make mistakes. And we as sellers, I would try to get out there and to almost like seek failure as often as possible so you can learn from it. Absolutely gold advice. I love it. I love everything that you're saying I'm loving because I think the other thing about what, what you're talking about is, is the, the, the technology, the science can't see the intuitive part of the process, right? And that's where, mm-hmm. you know, great sellers exhibit the fact that they're curious. Yeah. They, they will look under stones that possibly other people might not look under 
and they'll find something quite unique or something that will enable them to progress the opportunity and turn something from a closed loss or, you know what, it doesn't meet our qualification criteria, but all of a sudden the dynamic of the opportunity has changed. And Mm -hmm. there's another, I think, one of the challenges I think a lot of sellers having today is especially in the tech sector, because it's, it's not every sector has done this, but the tech sector definitely has, is using that kind of manufacturing process in the sales process is going, let's segment each stage and have top yeah. of the funnel SDRs, BDRs, you know, AEs, customer success. It's not allowing sellers to really understand that full cycle of the sales process. Um, And knowing that, okay, what I start at the top of the funnel and where it gets to from a customer success perspective, not seeing that full journey, it's not allowing Mm -hmm. them to be the expert and provide that value to their prospects. If you are a BDR or an SDR, and on the flip side, if you're an AE that doesn't do your own prospecting, which again, I think that's a big mistake many companies are (laughs) are making. For sure. um, What advice can you give people? Because... I think that's a gap right now. There's a, there's a capability gap from sellers because again, my back in the day, if I ever said to my, and I sound really old school by saying this, if I ever said to my boss, um, I haven't got enough leads, you need to give me leads and you need to <laughs> get me a prospecting person. He'd say, well, there's the door. See you later. Right. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and he was brutal. Like I think, uh, so I was, I had to get my prospects. You never bought leads. It was, that's why I pay. That's what I pay you. Right. Um, yeah. yeah times have changed, but what advice have you got for people that are may, may be doing a function of the process mm-hmm. and they're missing out on the opportunity to learn that full degree, that view of the sales process? I would tell them, same thing I tell to all of my mentees, all of the people that I work with, do more than is asked of you. Even if it takes longer, even if it's after hours, even if you, it, it means that you're exhausted, no one is going to advocate for you. Like it's it's interesting too because I think that we don't set very clear expectations for for during interview processes. But one I, the way that I actually assess reps for promotion is it's not just on performance. And I think that what we tell people is that okay, you just do your job. Just be a BDR for however long. Just just do these things. These five things. We don't want you to do anything beyond these things. And we're going to watch every single minute, you, every single thing you do, you have to, you know, reach these activity metrics, et cetera. But we don't really encourage them to do more, right? We don't encourage them to take on more of the sales process. We tell them constantly, that's not your job. What I want to tell the sales reps, don't listen to that. Do more than is asked of you in every job. Find ways to take on more of the sales process, even if it's just starting really small and asking your rep, what can I do to better support you? Can I send follow-up? Can I craft the follow-up message for you after this meeting? Can we talk through, you know, some ways that you would want me to adjust it a little bit so that it's easier for you next time? And it's, it's challenging because I think um, with sales with sales roles, it's hard because a lot of times we don't understand as much of how to get to the next role. But it's really deeply understanding what the skills are that you need for this job but even more importantly, to start learning the skills for the next job before you go into it. And it's interesting because I see so many people that are bored in their jobs, especially BDRs. And I think if we can just encourage them to 
to do more of those exercises, just asking some simple questions. Can you start crafting? Can you start doing the presentations for your sales person? Can you just ask them again, a simple question of what can I do to learn from you, to grow with you, to support you? How can I make your job easier? And also just seeking out resources, even externally, do more. This is epic. Like this is really epic, Megan. I mean, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation, but I think one of the things that you've also touched on just there is mindset is mm-hmm. that's a mindset thing, right? That's going, Hey, I want to build this profession. I want to elevate my role. I want to be the best I can be. Um, and that's the way that in which they're looking at, you know, the, the role and the opportunity that's in front of them. Um, talk to us a bit about mindset and how did mindset help you hit president's club? It's probably the only thing that helped me hit president's club. Cause I definitely didn't have the skills and I, I loved when we were talking, um, even before the podcast, uh, I, I loved the focus on mindset because I have people every day, they reach out to me, sellers who are saying, Hey, I want to focus on this. And my first question is why, why do you want to focus on this? Yeah, How do you know that this is the, the root cause of your issues? And also, what do you want to achieve? And I actually have a coaching and development, it's like a career development uh, sheet. And I think too few sellers are doing exercises like this. When I ask people, hey, what are your goals? They're like, oh, my numbers are this. This is my quota. I'm like, no, 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 no. What are your goals? What are the personal goals you have? Whether it's someone just listed, I is it okay to tell you, like, do you care that like, I want to buy a house? I'm like, of course I care. I want to know these things. And also what are those crazy stretch goals that everyone tells you are like not realistic at all, but that you secretly really want to hit. Um, so I had a seller who it was the, I, I took over for this team when a manager had quit. And the first person I trained, his name is uh, Michael Douglas, not the, <laughs> the, the actor, but an incredible salesperson. And we worked together uh, he, I remember him just coming to my desk every, he basically lived at my desk. He was always asking me questions, was very curious and open. And he, he told me this crazy goal. I mean, it was just like some, three times what anyone else had done and he didn't hit it the first quarter. And he was really disappointed. We shifted the goal and then he was doing so well. He actually, he he didn't even want to put it on his desk because he was, he was so scared that people would ask about it, but his stretch goal was to go to president's club in, in his first year in sales. So we didn't even, we had this code and uh, I told him to put a sticky note on his desk and it said PC, there's two sticky notes, PC and SPOY, salesperson of the year. And every day he looked at those and I think it was October when he hit 100% of his quota um, starting in January. And then he went to president's club his first year. It, it was honestly a team that like no one even anticipated that this team would ever go is kind of that more of a mid-market role. He went to president's club and it was number three salesperson in the entire company in terms of quota attainment. So I think that what you can do is to really shift your mindset, not to how can I accomplish my goal? How can I hit my quota? But what do I want? 
what are those crazy stretch goals that I haven't even told anyone about? And I would actually list them out. I, I do have a great template for this, but just listening out, what are your personal goals? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And be really focused about those things. Talk to people about them. Share this with other people. Talk to your manager about it. Find mentors, create development plans. And honestly, it's really like thinking that you are very capable of things. And even if it, you know, my last piece of advice was like, do more than is asked of you, but also believe that you are capable of more than is asked of you. That's awesome. I love that. I love that story. I think I've seen those stories, Megan. I've, I've, Mm -hmm. um, I've been on the end of that personally, I think visualizing one's goals and looking at the intrinsic motivator, because at the end of the day, the commission, the salary, um, that's an external, that's an extrinsic motivator. And, and I often mm-hmm. talk about this. It's, you know what, the, the money component, I remember the first day I made commission, it was awesome. And it drove me to get, go harder and harder. But then after a while, that commission was like, yeah, it's just commission. Um, but it was the subsequent, like it was the other things that it was enabling me to do. And when I realized that, when I realized it was allowing me to help my family do things, we were going on holidays, it was memories. Like I wasn't working for the commission. I was working to create more memories. And those memories yeah. are priceless now because for me, those memories are going to be embedded in photos. And I'm, I'm, and I've, that was achieved because of the commission check. Mm-hmm. but I don't, the memory is not the commission check. It's, you know, being at the beach with my daughter and my son, right. And doing stuff yeah. with them. So I think what you've just spoken about is massive. And I think we're not enough sellers really understand that. Well, what is this going to lead me to? What is going to be the impact of X? And, and, and again, I just think this is such an incredible episode and we've probably got another two or three episodes we could build out from this um, because this is fantastic. So, but before we kind of, um, you know, wrap up our, our, our interview, where can sellers, where can our listeners engage with you and find you? Yeah. So um, I am very active on LinkedIn. I think it's one of the easiest ways that sellers can connect with great mentors, can stay up to date with sales trends. And so I encourage people to follow me on LinkedIn. I share a lot of um, posts and articles. And of course, when I'm hosting events, that's the first place you're going to hear of it. But I also um, am such a sales geek. So I host uh, geek out sessions every Tuesday and Thursday through Zoom. So they're short little virtual coffee uh, coffees. But if you want to bring me a certain challenge or you want to learn a little bit more about the, the work that I do, uh, you can actually access and schedule one of those sessions on my website. Which I think you have the link. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we will put that in the show notes. Um, I love that on your website. It's got come and geek out with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we'll make sure we put those in the show notes. But look, I, I've really enjoyed this episode. I think this is coming from a place of, you know, you're a practitioner at what you do. Um, you're not just somebody that has a theory and you're executing a theory. You're actually... Um, this is this is practitioner stuff and I've got so much respect. Um, so I want to say thank you for coming on our podcast. Appreciate the contribution you make to our industry. Um, and I think people listening to this uh, will walk away better 
and it'll allow them to be the best they can be. So thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. Thanks again for having me. Appreciate the conversation.